You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Good morning, Faith Church. My name is Brian Eide. It may be possible that we haven't had a chance to meet, and I just wanted to let you know that uh, it's my joy to be up here this morning and to be able to preach the word. And uh, I want to just encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one at the uh, tables in the back of the room. It's our gift to you. And um, I I should make it known, if if you don't know me, I'm I'm an elder here, and I'm also uh, serving as the coordinator of discipleship. So it's my joy to to be here this morning. We're going to get into Psalm 19. And so if you're able and willing, uh, if you can uh, rise up here, we will... Start out with Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them, He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heaven, end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A quick reminder about psalms, right? We're in the 19th psalm. There are 150 songs. That's what psalm is. Uh, 150 of them in the collection, in the book we know as psalms. And the wonder of the psalms, as many of you know from uh, just visiting them often in your own Bible reading, uh, these include several genres, praise and thanksgiving, lament and wisdom, and even more. And one of the things that we're most drawn to about the Psalms, for those that know them well, is that they cover such a variety of life situations. They can uh, hit the the heights of of joy and jubilation. They can hit the depths of sorrow, uh, just unspoken, and uh, just grief. And, And anywhere in between, there's a transparency and a genuineness about them, and, and it's compelling. They strike a chord in our hearts, no pun intended. 
as we, uh, as we continue to think about that psalm, right? I'm not going to sing this one for you, but you should remember that this is a song. But, you know, I, I, th- I thought it'd be good maybe later in the service if we could have uh, Todd Runkle come up. He, not only has he learned bass guitar in the last few months, I think he can do interpretive dance too. And so uh, <laughs> that might be fitting, okay? Um, just be ready, Todd. All right. Um, a lot of that's impromptu, so he's good with that. But uh, yeah, let's jump into Psalm 19 right off the bat. Has David looking upward towards the sky? And it is, uh, you know, it's a celestial view. But before we really dive into it, I've got more of a question that will ground us, having us think about the ground we currently stand on. And here's my simple but challenging question for you. The question is, how would you describe your spiritual growth over the past few months? Your, I'm not talking about the person next to you on either side, right? Sometimes it's easier to describe them. But uh, how would you describe your growth? Now, some of you can answer that question rather reflexively, and it's because maybe there's just been something that's been burning on your heart these last few weeks a sermon series that just really profoundly spoke to you. That happens, right? And and so the answer is just readily there. You know what? If that's your case, we we rejoice with you. That that is awesome. Uh, That that should be an experience that happens. Um, But for others, maybe that, that question would take a little more time to mull over right? It's not always something that we're stirring ourselves to think about. And so it may take a little more reflection. Uh, maybe, maybe you can't come up with one sermon per se that did it, but maybe it's a cumulative thing. For some, hey, maybe, maybe you need the help of others to see that. I, I recognize that the question's not an easy one to answer necessarily, and it's not necessarily one we can always answer quickly. But in order to, you know, kind of walk us through that, I thought maybe it would help to give a portrait of of maybe three hypothetical people, right? And so we kind of just paint with a broad brush here and um, as as we do that, uh, I guess I should have put that up there. I apologize for that. This is Psalm 19. Uh, But uh, let's go ahead here and um, we think about the 150 songs. Obviously, we said uh, that, you know, uh, these things penetrate our hearts and they remind us that we're made to worship. But Back to the people. Person number one. All right. So person number one, we're going to name this person because person person one just is going to get lost, right? So person one, we're going to name this person unconvinced and unconcerned, okay? And so with this, they're uninterested, unmotivated, and, and, you know, perhaps a whole number of other things. But, But largely, unconcerned is really not not really convinced that there is a need to follow. They might even be possibly unregenerate. That's, that's not a given. If you're not familiar with that term, unregenerate, it simply just means they have not been born again and given a new spiritual heart. Uh, but it's not a guarantee that this person is unregenerate, but just rather unconcerned as a whole. The, the idea of growth isn't really on the radar of something that preoccupies any of their given thought, 
all right? And so there can be, again, a variety of reasons for this. At some point, though, in the midst of that, uh, when we talk about this first person, right, uh, we're talking unconcerned is probably more passionate about living for the things right in front of them, pleasures, joys, things of this world. The things of eternity just seem maybe too far off and, and not really something uh, all that practical to begin with. Uh, there's just a lack of concern there. And so that's person number one. This person needs to be reminded uh, of a key truth, right? Uh, and that, that key truth is simply that they need to be exhorted to recognize uh, that there is, there is eternity, that there is a calling, that there is a, a sovereign God uh, that, that calls us to live for him. And so this is, uh, this is again, just the, the first person. Let's go to the second person. And second person, person number two, we'll call unrealistic. I know these aren't very good names, but, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to go with what your parents give you. And, you know, I birthed these kids, and here they are. So unrealistic is going to be of the mindset of they want growth. And that growth, they even are full of faith when it comes to God working in the lives of other people. All right? It's easy for them to believe that God is good, that his promises are real, and he sees those or she sees those at work in the lives of others. But where the unrealistic part enters in is when they think about their own life because maybe they've plateaued at a spot and just see continued growth as something that's not really attainable for them. Okay, again, easy to have the faith for other people, but there might be a variety of reasons where there's been a plateau and a sense of, of just thinking that further progress is unrealistic. Sadly, sometimes that just comes from maybe a, a battle with a, a pattern of sin that has been long standing, and they just can't seem to get victory or progress in it. And so you throw up your hands and say, I, I don't know what to do right? Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe there's, maybe there's just something God's not pleased with me. I, I, I have to kind of maybe settle for the place that I'm at right now and just kind of accept that until eternity rolls around, that's how it's going to be. Maybe, maybe there's something really just more troubling, uh, a sense of, of deeper shame and, and difficulty that, that prevents a moving forward. There can be a variety of reasons. I'm not trying to pigeonhole uh, person number two, unrealistic, in just one particular way, but the overall is just a total plateau, right? And a feeling that it is impossible to move beyond. And so uh, that is, you know, unfortunately, uh, the case for more people than we might first realize. A third person, right? In, in reality, maybe there is more than three people, but for simplicity, we're going to go with three. Three we're going to call undivided, all right? Not a very good name, but still kind of a winsome title nonetheless, okay? Undivided is unwavering in the faith. Now, I want to be clear Unwavering is, is not without flaws. We're, we're not saying that they're perfect. Unwavering uh, is just somebody, you might call them undaunted. Uh, they, they look at some of their past failings and their past mistakes and, and their sins, 
And they're not going to let that throw them off course. They're going to keep pressing into the things of God. And so it's, it's not a track record of perfection. It's just a track record of perseverance to say, I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to press in. And so we've got three different people. Now, uh, person number two, we should say back to unrealistic. Unrealistic needs the encouragement or the challenge to trust in God's promises again, to be renewed in the hope that they offer. How about person number three? You say, well, they're doing pretty good. I'm going to put a a challenge out there for person number three, too. Uh, Person number three needs to be challenged to allow this faith and this this growth and this this track record of pressing into God, they need to allow that to echo out and to be an encouragement to others. And so we're going to come really emboldened to do that. We're going to come and talk about uh, all three of these uh, a little further as we, we jump into this psalm together. But... As we move ahead, maybe the better question isn't which of these three might you better identify with. Maybe it's how can we push past the plateaus that would kind of keep us uh, from growing in a a deeper faith. And so I hope that that's uh, really what we'll accomplish here in this time. Let's take a look here uh, just a little further at this psalm. And so the first six verses... Uh, are so beautiful. Uh, C.S. Lewis just uh, raved about uh, what an awesome poem you have present in Psalm 19. He thought it was the best of all the Psalms, uh, rather profound. Um, With this, we've got something that at first, uh, the whole Psalm seems to almost have three different portions to it. And at first glance, they don't easily uh, come together. But I think with a little bit of standing back, we'll see a connection here. Let's take a look here at this uh, first section that makes up this hymn. And in these first six verses, what we have in the song is a, a clear depiction of God's created universe in its vast array. And what is this doing? The the vast array of stars that are depicted are basically raising a unified voice, a unified voice of praise to its creator, proclaiming its glories to all. This is an awesome passage when you think about it, right? Uh, Look at all the the words uh, of of action here uh, that are being personified here uh, as the work of the creation, declaring, proclaiming, pouring out speech, revealing more speech and words being heard, a voice going out, words being broadcast to the ends of the world. Uh, this (laughs) This is a awesome picture right? And with this, the celestial bodies doing all of this, what we have is just an awe of creation. And in the midst of that, we're seeing back to the creator. We've got even a metaphor going on here, comparing the sun in all of its radiance to that of a bridegroom leaving his chamber, right? This is really, uh, the, the bridegroom has just consummated a marriage. There's jubilation in this bridegroom and that the son having that, that kind of power uh, and that, that kind of radiance uh, that's being depicted here. In addition, we've got, we've got the son depicted as a mighty warrior and uh, all of this uh, being exhibited here uh, by the impact of the son's heat 
incidentally, I just, I had to Google it, right? Just how hot is the sun? And most of us don't just kind of keep that fact on hand. Uh, do you realize it is 27 million degrees hot? Uh, that, that is pretty crazy. So when we talk about nothing being hidden from its heat, uh, I think, you know, uh, the, the psalmist has uh, his base covered here. So uh, anyway, uh, we've, we've got a, a beautiful poetic display here. The emphasis though, as we've already indicated, the emphasis has to take us back. If you know your scripture, it has to take us back to Genesis 1, right? Because though the creation is doing the communicating uh, in these first six verses of the song, really, uh, the, the communication that's going on is simply words that reverberate the initial words of the Creator, right? If we go back to Genesis 1, those initial words uh, are so majestic, and we, we talk about the, the power of God's Word. Let there be light, and there was light. And all things in Genesis 1 just unfold in their due course of action with instantaneous power and creative genius, and really a wonder, right? I mean, stop and ponder. We have a pairing here in this psalm of the wonders and the beauties that are so throughout the earth, and we have just this instant connection with the powerful words of God in Genesis uh, 1, right? And, and so it's his words spoken, and you may, uh, you know, you may do well just to re- remember the Genesis 1, you've got God speaking into a formless void. It says that the earth was without form and void. So literally, God's words speaking into the nothingness and the chaos and creating a complete order of this world. And, and so there's something just so powerful about his words that way to bring complete beauty and design and perfection and order out of complete and utter chaos previously. So these words are sovereign, they're unrivaled in power. They leave us with our jaw dropped. And you know what, we can make that academic, but let's just kind of take it into the practical, right? We know this. We know it whether people are believers or not. They drop their jaw, right? Just locally here, we go to the beach, sunset. You ever just stop? Sometimes I take a break from looking at that beautiful sunset and just notice all the people that have stopped everything they're doing to take it in, right? You can't help it. Yeah, occasionally you get somebody that's really obtuse and I don't know, they're doing metal finding or something instead of looking at that beautiful sun, right? But, but I mean, most people have absolutely stopped everything they're doing and they are, they are mesmerized by that thing. And, and you notice it from, from Canadian tourists uh, to locals, it doesn't matter, young, old, we're, we're all taken by it, right? You can't help that. And that's true, not just here locally, And it's true not just for the sunset, it's true for so many things. We see the glory of God, whether we attribute it to him or not, and and we just can't help but be riveted uh, by what he has made. And so we see uh, the realities of, of, you know, what David's talking about here. Uh, So we got to stop at just this moment and we got to think back to our, you know, person number one, unconcerned. 
right? <laughs> you know, I, I think some of that person is reflected in some of what Paul, uh, in a related passage in Romans, will, will kind of talk about um, the wrath of God that is being revealed from heaven, right? And why is that wrath of God being revealed? You can look it up later. But Romans 1, uh, starting in verse 18, will make it very clear that all of humanity, no matter who you are, what time period you've lived in, all of humanity is capable of recognizing that there is a majestic creator. Even if we don't know much about him, we can tell that he is absolutely, uh, you know, breathtakingly amazing, right? We know it by what has been made. And Paul will go on to talk about the folly and the arrogance uh, that, that exists in the hearts uh, of, of many who will refuse to acknowledge that there is a creator and ultimately who will refuse to seek to know more and to live more in accordance with some element of truth that they know must exist. And, and so that's really telling, right? When we talk back to this first person who's unconcerned about growth and we look at this uh, opening part of David's hymn, we'd say, wow, we do have a majestic creator. We've got to come to a point, if you, if you kind of, as we describe this you know, person number one, unconvinced, unconcerned. If you find, hey, you've got some kind of identification uh, towards that line of thinking, I just want to lovingly challenge you. I want to lovingly encourage you. I want to lovingly exhort you this morning. Come to recognize and to bend your knee uh, to, to, to make God's purposes greater than your own, right? It is so easy to get caught up in a life that is pursuing our own passions and our own pleasures. But clear as day, just as we look at the vast array of stars above us and are taken with their beauty, we recognize, hey, our lives were a gift, not, not, not from us. They didn't arise from random chance accident. Uh, they belong solely to the sovereign God that created us, well, would you humble your heart? And, and would you put yourself on, on a track of saying, God, uh, I, I need to make some change. I need to make some rearrangement. I need to allow your words uh, to transform uh, my very heart. Well, that is where we're going to go here. We've, we've looked at the first part of this uh, psalm, and we recognize that the power of God to transform creation is quite evident. But I like that as we get to the second part, uh, we'll see that there is a power of God evident as well uh, to transform the human heart. And what a joy uh, that is to realize, because that same power that's been on display throughout all of creation is very much intended to be set loose in each of our hearts. And that's good news, as we will kind of come to see more vividly here in just a moment. But as we uh, take a look at that, let's just come back uh, to recognize 
first of all, uh, as we, we talk about this idea of the law of the Lord. Verses 7 through 11 make up this second portion. And we are now, instead of God's glory being proclaimed by nature, it is God doing the proclaiming uh, of his glory through the law. And, uh, and as we look at that, the law, 613 commandments. We, we typically sum them up in 10, right? Uh, and, and so w- with this, uh, we, we've got the 10 commandments. And, and obviously, uh, you know, we're not going to get into the broader context of Israel's laws and what's for today. But, but we'll say, hey, with the 10 commandments, we have a clear recognition in the New Testament that Jesus basically summarized nine of them uh, for us for today. And the 10th one is the Sabbath, which he redefined as being himself and the rest he would provide. So we'll put all 10 of those into play in some way, shape, or form. So they are still very much applicable for us. But it's sad because these oftentimes get characterized and really simplified to just a matter of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. And I'd say that really, it's easy for us to think that, but it misses the point. It misses the point that so many of the biblical figures came to realize, and it misses the point that David is communicating here too. Really, there's a key word that I would just have us think about this morning, and the word is shalom. It's a mysterious word. And it's one that isn't, you know, fully understood as to how to best translate it into our modern English language. But let me give you the best sense that I'm aware of at this moment. Shalom is this idea of flourishing, of a goodness, uh, of a, a joyful, peaceful state that is produced here that really uh, strikes the chord in a human heart as what we're created to, to know and experience. And so a lot of the psalmists will use this word shalom. And with this in mind, I think it's helpful for us to recognize that David has in mind as he's singing. Keep in mind, this is a heartfelt song. David is singing about the wonder of the law. He's not thinking about a list of do's and don'ts as, man, this really kills my joy. No, he is thinking just the opposite. You can see that in the very nature of his statements. How does he describe the law? The law is perfect. It's sure. It's pure. It's clean. It's enduring and true. And not only that, I mean, come on. I mean, can you really... Can you really say, wow, they're more to be desired uh, than gold, even much gold? He compares them to being sweeter than honey itself. Huh, there is a guy that has a understanding of the law that fits with what I've just described of shalom. David seems in this moment of faith as he's writing the song to recognize that it is God's commandments that are going to bring his best life. It is God's commandments that are going to bring his human flourishing. And what he doesn't have in mind is they'll bring my best life someday in eternity. No, he's saying me yielding to these things will bring the greatest, deepest satisfaction in the here and now. Hmm. I don't know about you, 
But I realized, hey, I, I got some recalibrating, some retuning to do in my own heart sometimes about how I think about God's commands, right? Uh, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. I, I can't read the, the faces out here, but I'm telling you what, I look at my own heart and I, there's some days where I'm all about God's commands and then there's other days like, oh, I don't know, that seems like labor, that seems like, like toil, that seems not fun, right? But we need uh, to come to this point of recognition uh, of the idea of shalom. You know, ironically, while Israel is going to have a great reverence for the idea of God's law, the Israelites frequently found themselves utterly disobeying it, which is kind of interesting. And it's not just a one-off. No sooner than they are given the law, the 613 commandments, Moses is on his way down the mountain, right, with the 10 summarized. What does he find them doing? They're worshiping idols, and not just mildly so. I mean, it's a full-out debaucherous party, right? I mean, they are going all out in defying uh, everything about the laws they just said that they would commit themselves to. And that will extend throughout their history. Jesus, when he arrives on the scene, oh, he finds a group of experts at the law. They really revere it. But yet they're missing it too, right? They, they're just uh, uh, hypocritically keeping so much of it, right? So it's, it's easy on one hand to look at Israel and say the reverence for the law was definitely there, but we got to keep in mind uh, the failure was there. On the other end of the extreme, how about us as a culture? You know, American culture seems to be diminishing uh, over the decades in its reverence for any kind of a law. Uh, we're kind of mavericks. We, we don't like laws, uh, and increasingly so, right? Uh, we're suspect of them these days. And, hmm, you know, uh, the bottom line is whether you have the reverence of Israel, uh, whether you have the suspicion uh, of America, right? We all uh, seem to fall short of something of that idea and ideal that God put out in his laws. And by the way, is it really all that mysterious that we are struggling as a nation uh, to find some greater measure of, of peace and lasting happiness? That shalom is slipping through our hands as we throw off any kind of idea of following laws that would be designed for our goodness. Well, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll kind of just make one last point here uh, with respect to, to our view on the law. Sometimes we can bring that very attitude into the church. Sometimes it's not intentional. But we can have this sense that, well, Jesus died for sin, so it really doesn't matter what we do. In fact, I hear a lot of young people that I get to teach uh, day in and day out kind of echoing some element of that attitude that, well, since forgiveness is available uh, fast and free through Jesus, right? We just celebrated Easter. Jesus died to forgive sins. Yes, he did. And he did conquer sin and death. He rose from the grave victorious, but he did so that we might walk in newness of life, right? And so it's easy for us uh, to, in some way, shape, or form, spurn the law. You know, thankfully, God foresaw the difficulty we would have in that very thing. I love a passage in Jeremiah 31 that speaks to this very thing. Jeremiah says, for this is the covenant, uh, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them 
and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God knows that we have struggled, whether Israel or America, to grapple rightly with this idea of his commands and that we will not inherently obey them, right? We've got a sin nature that resists in some way, shape, or form at every corner or every turn uh, the idea of God having the right uh, you know, to, to command us. But the new covenant promise is that God would now write those laws on our hearts. Earlier today, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, right? This is, this is all in keeping with the new covenant promise. And, and so we've got not only uh, the Holy Spirit with us, but, but that part of that work of the Holy Spirit is literally to put, put a desire to follow God on our hearts that we wouldn't have left to ourselves and to give us the power and the strength to walk in those laws. Now, make no mistake, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we're going to walk in perfect obedience here, okay? We're not talking about a sinless perfection. But I am saying that we should have every reason, understanding our scripture, to believe that God has made the way possible for us to break through the plateaus that can kind of come and stall out our spiritual growth. And, and this is something we need to take to heart. Paul calls this whole process of walking in obedience because of the gospel. He calls it in Romans, he calls it the obedience that comes through faith. I love that. Let me just ask you this morning, especially if it's possible, we remember back to person number two, unrealistic. Unrealistic is discouraged. Unrealistic is plateaued. Unrealistic is stalled in a progression of, of walking in further growth. But let me ask you the question, hey, do you, do you contemplate that the Holy Spirit uh, is there with you? Do you contemplate uh, the wonder of the new covenant promise here, that law being on your heart? Where do you stand this morning? Do you think it's possible to make significant steps forward in your battle with sin? The scripture wants you to be very encouraged to that end. Do you believe it's worth it? Do you believe it? This is something we've got to fight for and we've got to stir each other in. The whole idea is just, uh, you know, uh, to have a community of people that are constantly sharpening each other in this very thing, that we don't lose sight of these promises. But don't take my word for it. Let's, let's take God's word for it. Uh, I wanna speak a few words of encouragement to those that may be struggling in that plateaued state this morning. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've stalled out and it's easier to trust God for other people more than you. But Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? If you've been struggling with some kind of pattern of sin and feel defeated in that, you need to put that on. You need to recognize that God's promise to you was made with his full awareness of your struggles in mind. He, he didn't say, well, as long as you really, you know, uh, put this to death quickly, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. No, he says flat out, knowing the end from the beginning, there is therefore now no condemnation. Paul makes it clear, Ephesians 1, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
Paul even makes it clear. I love this Philippians 1 6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Are you discouraged this morning? That's a word I believe that the Lord would just have you to meditate on. God won't give up on the work that he has begun in you. Would you have the audacity to believe that he means what he says? He didn't look at you and say, I meant this for everybody else around you. He's looking at you (laughs) this morning and saying, hey, put on my promises. If you're struggling, let me appeal to you to pursue God and his promises in his word. You need that daily. And as you put those on, I think you'll find uh, the courage that you need to move forward. Well, let me get us here to our final point here, the posture of continued growth. Really, we want to get to that third uh, you know, person. But as we do, let's just look at David's attitude here. David says very clearly something that reveals his heart. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You know the wonder of this? This shows, this gives you a a window into his heart. And this is why we call him a man after God's own heart. And the the clear, uh, you know, unexpected twist there is, is that if you know David's story, you know he's far from perfect. He's got his moments of victory. <laughs> but man, the guy was a adulterous murderer. I'll tell you what, when we contemplate that very thing and you say he could be an undivided person, he could be the kind of person uh, that is marked with a continued progress in the faith, yes. And what is it that's at the heart of that? It's a heart of humility. It's a heart that says, hey, I'm going to continue to seek you. And notice how is it that he seeks him? He seeks him with an invitation. And I just want to put that out this morning. If you kind of are identifying more towards this third person, chances are you're doing this already. But this invitation says, Lord, I need your analysis on where I'm at. I'm inviting you in to have the final word. Lord, I'm suspicious not of your commands, but I'm suspicious of my own heart. Oh, folks, that is so not American, (laughs) right? We want to listen to our hearts and everything, but David, David's giving us a key for continued spiritual growth, and some, even amongst us, we're, we're stalling right now, we're, pl- we're plateauing because we are putting on maybe more of an American ideal uh, of listening to our heart rather than saying, God, I invite you in to reinterpret my heart. My heart is like mysterious waters. I need you to draw me out. My heart can't be trusted. I, David's saying in effect, Lord, I know the kind of man I've been. I've seen the horrors that can come from my own decision making. I have made at times a hot mess out of my life by trusting in my own wisdom or in my own path. 
God, keep me, protect me from myself and the destruction that I can wreak when I am acting in accordance with my selfishness. That's the heart of David here. This, is, this heart of humility is at, at the core of what made him a man after God's own heart. It's not, it's not his track record of good things or even his failings, uh, but it is his persistence in the midst of it all to say, hey, God, you get the final shot at evaluating who I am. I want to just challenge us all there. Young people, older people, we're all in the same boat. We don't want to take our cues from God's word so often. We want to take it from our own feelings and our inclinations. But this trajectory that David was on uh, is, is one that had him inviting God in. So as we kind of wrap this up, I, I just want to leave you with a few questions here to kind of discern, you know, or to think about fostering more growth uh, in your life. Are you routinely in God's word? There's not going to be spiritual growth of lasting significance if you're not in God's word. We need that word. We need the power that we saw at work in creation, that same power that can transform the chaos of our own hearts. We need, we need to make a regular space for it to reverberate through our mind and our heart. Second question, do you trust that submitting yourself to God's commands will bring flourishing and well-being to your life? We talked about being suspicious of those things, right? But, but the one who's growing is saying, hey, God, I'm going to put your ways above. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Well, uh, verse 3, or uh, question 3, do you have an attitude of suspicion when it comes to trusting your heart? That's hard, but it's something that we can learn. And the more we go to God and give him that invitation, the easier it becomes. And we taste and see that he's good and that his direction and guidance, when we give him the reins, won't lead to our, our, you know, our, our loss of joy, but rather it will lead to flourishing. Question four, have you invited God to have that final word? And the, uh, question three and four go together. Question five, do you have others? In your life, I uh, should say in your life, who would be willing to both encourage and challenge you to grow in your faith? And finally, number six, are you seeking to grow in such a way that you might turn, in turn help others to grow? You know, as we began, I told you even person number three, undivided, would have areas that they can be challenged in. And, and I'm convinced we've got a number of people that would fit the category of person three in this congregation I just want to encourage you. Listen, God, God's got in mind more for you. God's got in mind that you would be instrumental in helping others around us to, to be brought up in that very thing, a, a mentoring, a discipling, a, a sense of being on mission uh, to really foster and encourage more of this kind of growth. We need each other. We need each other, and we need to encourage each other. Let's, let's come together here. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we just want to pray that you would be at work. We thank you that, that you were resurrected, uh, the son was resurrected from the grave. We, we know that that is so that we might walk in newness 
uh, of life and victory, uh, of the defeat that you have given sin over sin and death. We pray, though, that you would be very much at work to encourage us to recognize your right place as authority in our lives. We pray that you would encourage us to dare to believe your promises. And Lord, where we've been lacking in faith to believe that, that a, a breaking uh, of the, the holding pattern uh, could be had in our life, we pray that you would just stir us to, to trust you and to take heart in the promises you've given. And Lord, finally, we just, we thank you and, and we rejoice in, in the clear pattern that David laid down here of humility before you and an invitation to draw you in. Lord, that's really what pursuing you is all about. Would you strengthen us as a congregation to pursue you? And where we've been neglect there, neglectful there, we just pray for your grace, your grace to give us a renewed vision and a renewed passion for pursuing you. Lord, may you be glorified in your midst and, and may the order that you create out of chaos, the shalom and the peace that you bring, Lord, may it increasingly characterize not only us individually, but us collectively as a church body, that we might glorify your name. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.